0: Hello everyone, welcome back to The Historian's Miscellany. I am your host, Sid the Historian. I truly appreciate the warm welcome the podcast has gotten. It has been really interesting to hear feedback from friends, family, and those I've never met. I really consider this a hobby, but promise I'll continue to get better at the mechanics of hosting a podcast. In the meantime, I'm having a lot of fun I hope you are as entertained as I am. Today's episode takes place about 35 miles northwest of Binkleman, Nebraska, in Dundee County. This is located in the southwest part of Nebraska. Shortly after lunch on June 6, 1884, John W. Ellis, a well-known ranchman, was going out to his herd with three of his ranch hands and several other cowboys for their annual roundup. While riding near a draw, they heard a terrific, rushing, roaring sound overhead. Looking up, they saw what appeared to be a blazing meteor of immense size falling at an angle to the earth. A moment later, it struck the ground just over the bank where they were riding. Scrambling up the steep hill, they saw the object bounding along half a mile away, only to disappear into another draw. While chasing the object on their horses, they were astonished to see fragments of cog wheels and other pieces of machinery or metal scattered in the path made by this aerial visitor, as they called it. There was no such thing as UFOs back then. The metal objects glowed with heat so intense as to scorch the grass for a long distance around each fragment the group finally came to the edge of the deep ravine into which the strange object had come to rest. The heat was so great that the air was fairly ablaze, and the object emitted a light so dazzling that they could only gaze upon it for a few moments at a time. One of their party, a cowboy named Alf Williamson, stood with his head exposed over the bank about some 200 feet from the object, trying to get a better look at it. In less than half a minute, he fell senseless. His face became blistered and his hair was singed to a crisp. He was in dangerous condition. A doctor was summoned immediately and he was then taken to be with his brother in Denver where they surely had better medical help available. But he was not expected to ever recover his sight. When it became apparent that it would be impossible to approach the mysterious visitor the party turned back on its trail. Where the object first touched down, the ground was sandy and bare of grass covering a space about 20 feet wide by 80 feet long with the molten metal still bubbling and hissing. Finding it impossible to do any investigation, Mr. Ellis returned to his house and sent out messengers to the neighboring ranches with the news. When night came, the light from the wonderful object beamed almost like the sun, and the visitors who went out to see the object were entirely powerless to bear the glow. One of the men who came to witness the phenomenon was E.W. Rollins, who was a brand inspector. A brand inspector is a person who is used to recording meticulous details. He provided a detailed description and verification of the particular facts of the event. Smaller pieces of the scattered machinery had cooled somewhat but were still too hot to be handled. One piece that looked like the brass blade of a propeller screw was about 16 inches wide by three inches thick, and a little longer than three foot. When it was picked up on a spade by Rollins, he was amazed that the piece could not have weighed more than five pounds, though it appeared as strong and compact as any known metal. A fragment of a wheel with a milled rim, apparently had a diameter of about seven or eight feet, was made from the same light metal, was also found near this area. The aerolite or whatever it was, seemed to have been about 50 or 60 feet in length. It was cylindrical and about 10 to 12 feet in diameter. As might be expected, there was great excitement in the vicinity over the discovery. The roundup was suspended while the cowboys waited for their wonderful find to cool enough so that they could make a thorough examination. Two days later, it was reported in the state general that the object and all of its evidence, though, had disappeared from the landscape. On just the day before, on June 8th, a rainstorm hit the area. In a regular blizzard style, they called it. The rain came down in torrents for an hour and a half or more, obscuring any sight of the mysterious object. It was reported by the State Journal correspondent that he had returned to the site of the mysterious meteor, along with a dozen or so other witnesses, to see what effect, if any, the rain would have on the aerial light. When the rain stopped, the observers rushed into the draw, excited with what they would find. They were astounded that the strange and mysterious object had melted. It dissolved from the water like a spoonful of salt. Small, jelly-like pools stood here and there on the ground, but under the eyes of the observers these grew thinner and thinner, till they were but muddy water joining the rills that led to the current of water just a few feet away. The air was filled with a faint sweetish smell, the group recalled. The journal report concluded the whole affair is bewildering in the highest degree and will no doubt forever remain a mystery. There has been a continued stream of investigators here for the past two days, among them, a number of the members of the press. There was a Denver Tribune representative among the witnesses to the evidence of the wonderful visitor. There are a thousand theories afloat afloat as to how it came and what it was, but the story is unfortunately incapable of solution." Out of these reports, there were some very awkward statements, some that just piqued my curiosity just a little bit. In the June 10th report, a couple days later, people were discouraged to visit the crash site by assuring them that all trace of the strange vessel had disappeared. The journal then the next day on the 11th sort of dismissed the subject in their topics of the times by turning it into a political joke, speculating that the celestial visitor had actually been a democratic presidential candidate because of its disappearance upon contact with the water. This was because at the time the Democrats were opposed to prohibition and its promotion of water as a beverage. There have even been modern searches that have attempted to locate the Dundee County crash site, and whatever remains of the craft may have survived its mysterious meltdown. Even 40 years after the original story, it refused to fade away. They later, the later discovery of chunks of a greenish, glass like substance with white inclusions, described by one account as lime jello with cottage cheese, in the McCook area fueled even more speculation that these objects may be connected with the 1884 event. But guess what? The story turned out to be completely false. Yes, folks, it is no coincidence that I dropped this episode on April Fool's Day. The Nebraska State Journal waited over 40 years, in 1927 to be exact, to expose the two 1884 stories as a hoax created by James D. Calhoun, then Managing Editor of the paper. Calhoun's former assistant, Horace W. Hebbard, recalled the event and its unintended consequences for the journal's 60th anniversary edition of July 24, 1927. Hebbard, who had been associated with the journal since 1879 and later served in his mentor's old job as the Managing Editor, was quoted as follows. The story was written by J.D. Calhoun, Managing Editor, and among those who read it was Charles Charles W. Fleming, an employee of the business office of the journal. Mr. Fleming saw visions of a fortune if he could obtain this meteor, or whatever it was, and exhibit it for a fee to the curious throughout the country. Accordingly, he took the train for Binkelman the morning the story appeared bent on obtaining possession of it, of this little wonder, and bringing it home with him. He was disillusioned, however, when he arrived at Benckleman and found no one had ever heard anything about this mysterious thing. Let's face it, hoaxes have probably been around as long as there have been any form of media, but their popularity peaked during the late 19th century. Journalists sought to entertain as well as inform their readers and fill space with stories that were wildly exaggerated and sometimes complete fabrications. Columnists and editors, editorial writers who could supply colorful copy that attracted readers were in demand and their writings were widely reprinted. Frankly, I'm disappointed. When I started researching this report, I was way excited. The possibility of aliens crashing not too far from where I live in the state that I grew up in was just too much. Here we are 130 plus years later, and I had never even heard of this awesome story but I really couldn't wait to find out what it had to tell us. What it told us was this was a hoax. It was a joke. I think people believe things when they really want them. This was one of those tales. It took a few people to pull it off, but they did it for over 40 years. Imagine trying to pull something off for 40 years in today's technology age. I still hold out hope though, that there are aliens are out there and some of our interactions with them are real. I, don't, I didn't believe in ghosts until I met them myself. That'll be another story I'll share later on. I'm sure most people don't believe in Bigfoot until they see it for themselves. Someday. I'll be waiting with tinfoil on my head in the hopes that we see some aliens and that they are friendly. Thanks again for listening to The Historian's Miscellany. Check out our Facebook or Instagram pages under The Historian's Miscellany. Check me out on Twitter at SidTheHistorian. I look forward to you listening in a couple weeks when we talk about a serial killer in Howard County, Nebraska. Yes, right in the small Danish town of Dannebrog. Crazier yet, we found out that this historian may even be related to her. Stay curious, my friends.